Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, coming at you from Impala Films headquarters in sunny Southend-on-Sea, it's me, Jamie Evans, and my co-host Rory Jocelyn, uh-huh. bringing you the inaugural episode of Second Take Cinema, our brand new film review podcast that was originally going to be called Second Chance Cinema, and it turns out some people have already beaten us to that name. What are the chances? What did I say about puns? <laughs> no. Sorry. Bad Rory. I'm getting it in action, don't I? Anyway, this is a brand new show coming to you from Impala Films. And unlike the other show that Rory and I host, the video game movie podcast, aka VGMP, yep. uh, this is a show, basically we wanted to do a show talking about films that weren't video game adaptations. Basically good films. <laughs> Basically, yes. Uh, although we have found a couple of good ones yep. on VGMP. That's true. Um, we wanted to do a show just talking about a wider range of films, because VGMP is quite limited in a sense. Yeah, very. And we're both filmmakers, we both love film, we both wanted to talk about it. So the idea behind this show, the reason it's called Second Take Cinema, is... We're giving a second chance to films we've seen before and maybe we loved or maybe we hated. And we want to see how time has treated them Yep. and how our opinions on them have changed. Because I don't know about you, Rory, but I've certainly had it happen before where I watch a film and think, that's really good. And then I watch it later and I'm like, that. what was I thinking? That's awful. And I've had it the other way around where I've watched a yep. film and thought, that's not great. And then I've watched it again a few years later and thought, oh, that was actually really good. What was I missing the first time? Like the, this first Super Mario Brothers movie? No. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, we we have someone we know who would be upset, or probably not actually, but I like to disappoint them by ring, ring, bringing up the Super Mario Brothers movie whenever I can. I I'll make sure that's the last reference I make to it, though. <laughs> so on today's inaugural episode... Uh, so what we actually did, guys, just so you know... When we were picking what episodes to do for this show, mm. Rory and I each wrote down uh, a whole bunch of movies that we'd seen before and we wanted to talk about. Then we ripped them all up on little pieces of paper, stuffed them in a box, shuffled them around, and we drew them out at random. So mm. there's actually a, a randomness to the episode order for this show. Yeah, I think the other thing that you sold it to me with that interested me was sometimes, and or quite often, hopefully... The films that we pick will be ones that, if we didn't like them, were critically acclaimed, mm. or ones where if we didn't like it, we did like them, weren't critically acclaimed, and to see if in time our opinions have aligned with the popular zeitgeist or not. Yeah, were we wrong? <laughs> yeah, were we? Yeah, is it me <laughs> or is it the audience that are wrong? Yeah. It's the world that's wrong. <laughs> uh, although, having said that, this first film kind of fits that, but kind of doesn't. Yeah. So today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going back to ye old 1998. A much better time. <laughs> Was it? Was it? Well, it's a time where in this movie, they destroyed the Twin Towers, and it was like, oh, that's a great effect. So yeah, a better time. <laughs> Nowadays, that did not have the same sing as no. it did in 1998. No, it was a lot more 
painful. Yeah. Um, today we are talking about Armageddon. That's right. The film that most people now remember because of the kick-ass Aerosmith song yes. on the soundtrack. Uh, but this film was, as I said, released in 1998. It is written by Jonathan Hensley and J.J. Abrams, who would later go on to do things like Create Lost. Mm. Uh, I think he was a co-creator of Alias as well. Uh, he, he did. J.J. Uh, Abrams did Fringe. Did he? Yeah. Right. Uh, at least the first season of Fringe. The first two episodes, I think, were also directed by him. Okay. Um, and I quite like Fringe. Uh, and he also did the Star Trek reboot movies, which were garbage. And um, he did <laughs> Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Yeah, and, and episode, episode 9, Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I think he still produced the eighth one. But, but he, didn't direct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A bit like George Lucas didn't direct the fourth one. Empire Strikes Back wasn't directed by George Lucas. That's the fifth one. Empire is episode five. Yes, you're right. Sorry. And I don't even like Star Wars. Anyway, it is directed <laughs> It is directed by world-class director Michael Bay. Yes, he's, he's well known for his art house movies. Mm. Produced by legendary producer Jerry Bruckheimer and Gail Ann Hurd. Also known for his art house movies, Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> <laughs> and stars Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Liv Tyler, Ben Affleck, Will Patton... Keith David, Michael Clark Duncan, Peter Stormare, and Steve Buscemi. Amongst with, many. Amongst many, with cinematography by John Schwartzman. It cost $114 million to make. In 1998, that is quite a big budget. In 1998, and made $553.7 million. So it's a hit. So, it, yeah, like that can't be denied. It was a hit. Uh, it was, however, also uh, declared by Roger Ebert to be the worst film of 19. 1998. Bear in mind, this is a year that also saw the release of Godzilla, and the Spice American World. Godzilla, and Spice World the movie, so, which I, we will yeah. be covering at some oh. point. Which I think, I mean, again, it's not fair to maybe say it because we haven't seen it again yet, but I'm fairly certain this is better than Spice World. This is definitely better than Spice World. So to say that if this is the worst movie... Is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. E- Ebert's being annoying with that. Yeah. It's, it's a, I think, a I, rare loss for Roger. Yeah. Um, rest <laughs> for in Roger, peace. Just, just you call it, you know, by name. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're B- Me BFFs. and Rog. Yeah, we're BFFs. <laughs> we go to the... Mo- I was meant to do a show with him, but Gene Siskel uh, got in my way. Ah. Uh, but Siskel anyway. liked this film. He did. He did. Um, anyway, so I was the one who put this film in the, in the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I first saw Armageddon around 2008, 2009 sort of time. Right. Uh, I saw it when I was in sixth form at school and I was studying media. So we are talking roughly 10 years after it came out. Okay. Whereas I think you said you'd seen it closer to its release. Was that right? I saw it probably about 1999 when I was 13. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot... My memory of it is way more hazy, because I, maybe I wasn't paying that much attention either. I didn't see it at the cinema, obviously, because it was a year after its release. Mm. I saw it on a VHS rented from Blockbuster in 1999 on a CRT TV. Blockbuster. So, yeah, Blockbuster. Back when, back when Block was busting. Uh, there's, <laughs> but unfortunately, busts back. <laughs> oh God, we said this wasn't going to be the same as VGMP. Rain it's those not... instincts in. It's, I'd like a bit of comedy. No, this is our serious podcast. This is my we, serious. We all voice. talk like this, and we have monocles. I t- asked you if I should bring a monocle, and you said no. Shh. That's too posh. They, they can't see you. Pretend you're wearing a monocle. Hang on. 
There, I'll, I'll put a fifty p in my eye. I am, I am doffing my cap as we do proper film a criticism, top hat, not a cap. Proper film criticism. Proper, yes, that's what we're doing. Proper. Yes, yeah, so we make Siskel and Ebert look like chabs. Yes, with their <laughs> thumbs up and thumbs down bullshit. I'll give them a... Th- no, I won't say that. But you might say thumbs up their ass. <laughs> well, I was just going to say I'll give them a thumb, but that's that's bad as well. Ebert is dead. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> is, is Siskel dead? I have no idea. I feel like Siskel's dead, because then he started it with Roper. Or did he do Roper first and then Siskel? I don't did know. Did he have a rap career? I know it's Cisco. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. Do you want a cut point? <laughs> no. We're just going to move on. So, for anyone who doesn't know, I imagine most people know the plot to Armageddon at this point. At least if be you honest, don't, it's not a very unique plot. No. <laughs> well, no, that very same year, Deep Impact came out, which I haven't seen, but I think is largely a similar premise. Yeah. Um, but for anyone who hasn't seen it, we will be spoiling the movie. Yeah. So, if you don't want spoilers, turn off now. Uh, but basically, yeah, I saw this uh, around 2008, 2009, and I remembered liking it. Um, it's a dumb film, but it's a fun film, was my impression yep. back then. Was that your impression back then? Um, I, I'll be honest, I don't remember a lot about the film. I do remember that it was fun. Mm. I remember it wasn't very smart. Um, and from this watch, <laughs> that clearly showed I was right. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a big, dumb film. And it's big dumb fun. Yeah, that's what I remembered of it. And but for me, it was quite throwaway. It wasn't one that I thought a lot about because, again, there isn't any depth to it, um, or at least it didn't seem to be back in nineteen ninety nine. Mm. Um, I will say something else as well, though. You mentioned that Deep Impact came out about the same year. Um, I think there was literally. I could be wrong. I need to fact check myself, but I think there's literally something like six months difference in their release dates. Right, it's really close. I think the '90s was a very interesting time when it came to production, um, because I think there was a lot of theft of ideas. Mm. And when I say theft of ideas, I don't mean um, like this was in production, say, and then whoever made Deep Impact stole it from that point. Um, what tended to happen, and this happened with uh, pretty clearly with Babylon Five and Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Uh, was that the idea for Babylon 5 was already being showcased mm. around by its creator, uh, Michael J. Straczynski, mm. and he took it to Paramount as a potential Star Trek uh, version of Star Trek. Yeah. They went, no, nah, no, nah, we're not really interested in this, and immediately started their own version, which became Deep Space Nine. Nine. Um, so he finally got funding for Babylon 5, and then all of a sudden, oh, there is a Star Trek that is basically Babylon 5 being made at the same time. It's funny, I... I took my ideas to Paramount and they yeah. said no, but now they're building my idea, but without my name and my mm. creation connected Did to it. Did he sue their dirty asses? No, he didn't. And actually, to be fair, I think there was a bit of bad blood in the community as well from people who insisted that Paramount had just outright stolen um, the idea. And to be fair, there is a lot of evidence to kind of support that. But there was a lot of cross-pollination between the Star Trek and Babylon 5 brands. Mm. A lot of actors would go each way. So there's a lot of Star Trek actors on Babylon 5 and, you know, vice versa. Um, including Majel Barrett, who was George, yeah, Gene Roddenberry's wife. She appeared on Babylon 5. Mm. Um, so and so there was a lot of cross-pollination, and that kind of made it better for fans, that they didn't try and cancel each other out with lawsuits and stuff. Um, but I can imagine that with spec scripts and stuff like that, that may have happened mm. with whichever one was first, whether it was Deep Impact or this, or maybe even a film that didn't get made. Um, someone was probably specking around a script about 
blowing up an asteroid the film studios went no no we don't want that crap and then just started making their own version which ended up with deep impact and armageddon being made simultaneously yeah um it'd be interesting to see if there is a spec script that those two were based on or if the spec script became one of those properties because yeah. this ten- this seemed to be quite a common theme in the 90s. I don't know if it's so common today because everyone's just trying to follow the Marvel model. But um, yeah, people yeah. don't write anything original anymore. They just they just find a comic book they can monetize. Yeah. Whereas in the 90s, they seem to find unique ideas and try and find ways of making them without paying the creator for them. Yeah. Ah, Hollywood. <laughs> Always so moral. So, for those who don't know, basically the plot to Armageddon is there's a big-ass asteroid the size of Texas. It's heading to Earth. It's going to reach Earth in, is it 18 days at the start? Yes. In yes. 18 days, uh, and basically, by all the calculations NASA can run, no matter where it hits, even if it lands in the ocean, it will wipe out all life on earth yeah they say even bacteria but i doubt that because that didn't happen when the dinosaurs died i will also note an inconsistency in the special effects uh at the beginning it shows uh, it it starts off with the dinosaurs thing going back in the day there were dinosaurs Mm. um which was very much reminiscent of the brothers movie we both laughed about that it literally has this bit as if it's got to explain what an asteroid is to the general public yeah but like this film does this film definitely treats its audience like they're idiots yes but then it's not got any actual intelligence to back itself up, so it just hopes you go along with it because it's patronised you up to that point. Yeah. Um, but there was at the beginning, it shows the Earth, and it's there were dinosaurs and blah blah blah, and all of the continents are arranged as they are today. You've got Africa, North America, blah 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 blah. And then the asteroid hits and destroys them, saying that destroys the dinosaurs, and it shows the fires going. So at the point of the dinosaurs, I believe it was Pangaea, so all of the continents were all still connected. So actually, the, 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 globe, mm. the global atlas would not have looked like it did in the beginning of the film, because at the beginning of the ah. film, it looks like the current day globe. Do you know what? I'm not actually sure you're right. Pangaea? I think Pangaea broke up pri- pre-dinosaurs. Because it certainly wouldn't because, look exactly like No, it wouldn't look now. exactly the same, but it can't have changed too much, and I'll tell you why. The crater from where the meteor hit the Earth that killed the dinosaurs, the crater still exists. Right. And it's half land, half water. That crater, if the the continent had moved too much, that crater wouldn't be intact, would it? Because the the Yucatan Peninsula is where the meteor hit. It depends, because it's not necessarily that tectonic plate that moved. You know what? Let's, let's, Let's have a quick Google. Yeah. Let's answer this. When did Pangaea break up? 250 million years ago, yeah. Mate, sorry. That's, uh, I'm afraid Michael Bay's got you on that one. Dinosaurs were 65 million years ago. Pangaea broke up 250 million okay. years ago. So all of the continents would have been a lot closer together still. Right. They would have been, they're, so they're all... They wouldn't uh, have been exactly where they are now. No, so they are breaking up into the shapes, but South America is just off the coast of Africa. Right. Um, so the, a lot of that stuff, it was really close together. So Pangaea had broken up, but it is nowhere near as 
disparate as it, as it is, is at today. the moment. No. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of in a middle ground. But, it, I mean, it was very clearly you saw North and South America yeah. on that globe, and it just didn't look like that. No. <clears throat> so they discover this asteroid. It's on its way to Earth, and every possible plan they've got for destroying it won't work. So they realize that what they need to do is actually explode it, because someone suggests blowing it up with a nuclear bomb. Yep. But they say if you hit it with a bomb on the outside, you'll just burn the outside of the asteroid. Yeah, it'll just what, break up into more smaller parts and yeah, still hit in what a big you, force. Yeah, what you need to do is blow it up from within. Mm. And they decide they need to speak to some drilling experts, which is when we get intro- introduced to Bruce Willis and his team yep. of deep sea oil drillers uh, out on an oil rig, uh, where Bruce Willis catches his deputy i think aj is ben affleck's character they don't they never really fully give them roles as such other than he's the jackass yeah well he catch he catches him stopping his daughter yes and decides to stop madly firing a shotgun on an oil rig yep into the oil rig machinery yeah yeah as you doesn't blow up (laughs) yeah and apparently but he's the brave man we should follow Mm. the man who shoots oil rigs yeah and he decides (laughs) to tell nasa that uh, it would somehow be more sensible to take oil drillers to this, uh, train oil drillers to be astronauts yep. than train astronauts to drill for oil. Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't know how true this story is, but you know there's an apocryphal story where Ben Affleck actually approached Michael Bay. Uh, I hope this is true. Apparently he approached Michael Bay and said, hey, Michael, would it not be easier to train the astronauts to drill than the drill crew to be astronauts? And Michael Bay told him to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And was like, it says it in the script, so do it. (laughs) He might be right. I think the idea was that they were the best of the best and to train someone to be the best of the best at something would be impossible. And they didn't need to be the best astronauts because they had other pilots and NASA people with them. As a... as often with Bay films, this is an incredibly patriotic film for oh America. It, it, it Every, almost vomits America yeah, everywhere. All the good people... Well, America are the only ones who do anything about the asteroid. No one else gives a toss, um, do they? They just sit there and go, oh, we've been hurt by the asteroids. We hope the Americans will help us. Yeah, except the Russians um, already have a space station. They do nothing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all, all of the best drillers in the world happen to be American. Yep. Um... It's a very pro-America movie. Anyway, basically the mission is they've got to fly up to the asteroid, drill a hole 800 feet down. 800 feet or 800 metres? 800... No, I think it's 800,000 metres. 800,000? I thought it was just 800. No, it might be 800. I can't remember. It's... it's you have to... to metres, then. 800 years into the... <laughs> <laughs> they have to drill into the asteroid, drop the nuke down explode it it this won't be cause... i just realized it probably be yards or something like that because it's american they wouldn't right. use meters okay split the uh split the asteroid in two yep. and each piece will move past the earth yeah they'll, so but... they'll get caught in the earth's orbit and slide yeah. around each way but um, they... i don't know how accurate that would be <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> but they have to do it before the asteroid reaches a certain distance to the Earth. Otherwise, it will get pulled into the Earth and cause the destruction anyway. Yep. Um, and they've only got, by the time they contact them, they've got like 13 days to prepare. Yeah. They've wasted five days doing nothing. Yeah. Um, it's a very typical Michael Bay disaster film. Yep. Um, it's not... Let's talk about the actual plot, first of all. Sure. Um... It's not a smart film. No. 
But it's not a boring film. No. It's very... I, I found the pace to be very rapid, to the point where sometimes it's almost too quick. And yeah. there's a couple of points where I was like, wait, what's happening now? I.e. the infamous space dementia scene, which oh, comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and that's not a real thing. Yeah. And he when, he, when Steve Buscemi gets home, he's now cured. You don't get well, cured from dementia, well, and space dementia's yeah, not a yeah, thing. Yeah, but Rory, you can't have space dementia once you're no longer in space. But he might have Earth dementia then. Dummy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's completely fine. They should have said Literally space mania. Scene, I mean, it would have yeah. been ridiculous, but it would have at least made sense. Literally the scene before, he's fine. Yeah. And then literally 10 seconds later, he's got, as William Fitchner says, he's got space dementia. Yeah. I, I God bless William Fitchner for trying to sell that line. Yeah. That <laughs> ridiculous, that is the worst line in the film. It's got um, to be up there with the word like space no, dementia. No, no, no. The worst line is the fit of the film. Spoiler alert! Is right near the end when he says, "You take care of my little girl." You know, I always thought of you as a son. Oh yeah, also oh, you're a fan weird. of incest. <laughs> that is weird. And plus, what sort of dad is shooting his son in an oil rig with a shotgun? Yeah, let's go back to the oil rig for a minute and yeah, talk yeah. about the introduction to this film. <laughs> um, as we've already said, this film doesn't treat its audience very. Like, they're very smart. Nope. It literally takes the time to explain what an asteroid is. I'm pretty sure everyone knows what an asteroid <laughs> is. Maybe they didn't in 1998. Maybe yes, I'm wrong. Yes, they did. I was alive at that point. <laughs> I was old enough to know. I knew what a meteorite was. Well, I'm pretty sure I knew what one was, and I was only, like, seven years there old. There was the video game Asteroids, and it was very obvious what you were shooting at. Fair enough. Um, yeah, this is not the best introduction to these characters. No. Uh I think I mean Michael Bay tends to have difficulty with female characters anyway yeah. and this film is no different. Liv Tyler is in this film, I don't mean Liv Tyler personally, Liv Tyler's character in this film is a complete waste of space. She does yeah. nothing. She exists only for there to be something for Bruce and Ben Affleck to lose. Yeah. And that's awful. That That is... I mean, she is irrelevant, really, to the plot. Oh, she helps nothing. She is just there as an object... Yeah. ...to be fought... First of all, to be fought over by the... It's a proper standard setup of the grouchy dad who doesn't want his daughter to date, even though she's, like, easily 25 years old. <laughs> yeah. At least. I'm, she's got all these lines like, I'm not a little girl anymore, daddy. It's like, you're nearly 30, darling. <laughs> yeah, you are too old to keep calling him daddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was calling Ben Affleck daddy as well. Well, I thought we were getting away from disgusting dirtiness on this it's show. Me. Yeah, but Buscemi, Buscemi's in this film. You, you are literally Steve Buscemi's character in this film. And what was the line he said that we were like, that's it? Oh, when does the kick in the balls start? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, please. Um, and the only other real female character... Is, uh, is the pilot the pilot? I mean, and she's kind of relegated to the sidelines by the end. I can't even remember her name. No, but all I remember is the scene where she's telling them what to do and threatens to kick uh, Michael Clark Duncan, Clark Duncan in, the, in balls. the balls. That's pretty much the biggest scene she's got, and all it was was the blokes going, "Actually, she's pretty damn hot. Yeah, I'd bang that." And you're like, "Great, that's the other female character you've put in, is yeah. just to be sat there the, and objectified." The only other one who is in two scenes. Is um, it's the strip dancer? Uh, well, okay, yeah. So there's the stripper <laughs> that Buscemi fancies, which is not a real part. And there is the woman that um, 
Mike Pat, uh, Will Patton goes to see, who she's yes. obviously the mother of his son. That but... does not read well for women. That's that that character. No, she's ashamed of Will Patton, but then because he becomes a hero, all of a sudden tells her son who who his dad is. Yeah, it's like oh, that guy's just a salesman, and then when it's like, "Mummy, the salesman's on television," she's like, "That's not a salesman. That's He's your father. father." It's like, "Oh, because he's famous. Yeah. That's why you." Mm. And did you see right at the end she comes to meet yeah, them yeah, and wants yeah. to be and with him? It's like you can see your son again now. What? Because he's famous? Yeah, it's man. Mm. Talk about making him jump through hoops. <laughs> oh, I know, isn't it? She, um, like, she got a court order and she just ignores the court order now. Yeah. So, like, why did you get out the court order? By the looks of it, there was no reason for the court order other than to be a dick. But this is a problem, not that I've seen every Michael Bay film, but this is a problem in a lot of Michael Bay films. Um, I've seen the first Transformers, where the only real female character is Megan Fox, mm-hmm. and she's she is just there to be eye candy. Yep. Um, Pain and Gain didn't have any particularly good female characters in it. No, that's a very male centric film. Yeah, all uh, of Michael Bay's films are male centric. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with a male centric film. No, but when every film you make is that, you might want to start looking at expanding your skill set, Michael. Yeah. Then again, I don't know. The man has made billions of dollars, so what the fuck do I know? Well, I think maybe that has something to say about that. There's an audience for this sort of thing. Yeah, um, which most film directors nowadays don't cater for. Yeah, um, I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing. I'm also, not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. There is a there is obviously a very machismo male focused sort of audience well, that of like to see is. big strong men and more servit like women in servitual roles. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's it's men's power fantasy, isn't it? Yeah. All men fantasize about wanting to be a hero. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't remember where I heard it. Someone was telling me that, like, the amount of men who in their head could be an action hero. They couldn't be in real life. Oh, I could be an action but, hero yeah. in my head. Oh, yeah. In your head, you're always like... I'm Arnie in my head. Oh, I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been bored as fuck at work and been like, if terrorists took over South End Hospital... <laughs> I reckon I could climb down the elevator shaft and like rig rig the MRI machines into an explosive device and yeah. But the reality okay, is, fine. you get knackered after climbing one flight of stairs. Okay, fine. I'm a nerd. I didn't imagine it as terrorists. It was what if Cybermen invaded? Okay. Okay. And I was going to something use... more realistic. Well, the 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 MRI, the MRI machines are better for defeating Cybermen. They're big magnets. In which case, you know exactly where to go to be safe. Yeah, the MRI machines. Just don't wear any metal. That's what I'm doing if uh, Cybermen turn up. What, go into the MRI machine? Yeah, you can't. You've got metal in your leg. Yeah, but it's titanium. It's not magnetic. I still wouldn't risk an MRI machine. They're pretty powerful. Are they? I think so. Uh, I mean, if it's that or becoming a Cyberman, I'd probably take the <laughs> risk. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I'm going to say something positive about Armageddon. Sure. Um, that I didn't experience the first time I watched it. And this is obviously different because of the context now. Mm. We are both in agreement that we are kind of... I'm not going to say a Nadia, but we are not living in the golden age of cinema at the moment. There is a lot of... Especially Hollywood cinema. Mm. There's an awful lot of just cynicism in film. Yes. And franchise chasing. Mm. 
it was quite nice. It's almost refreshing. To watch yeah, a <laughs> to watch a film that was just dumb fun, wasn't based on an IP. So we wasn't, could save the world. Wasn't setting up a sequel. Yep. It's, you even joked about it. You said, "Hang on, there might be a post-credit scene <laughs> where the asteroid comes back." <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the asteroid's um, brother is coming yeah, for revenge. Armageddon two, the asteroid strikes yeah. back. And but the, the asteroid this time is just a big potatoey version of Bruce Willis. His head. Yeah. Armageddon 2. Armageddon harder. <laughs> Armageddoner. Armageddon with a vengeance. <laughs> Armageddon 2. Judgment Day. So- this time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the irony is, is if they made Armageddon today, the reality is, is A, it would have sequel bait, and which is ridiculous, but it would. And yep. the other thing as well is, it wouldn't have any of like the stupid ridiculous, almost too good to be true. America, we can, we could get this done. Yeah, It'd all be gone. It'd just be like, humanity sucks. Do we even deserve to be alive? <laughs> it would, the whole movie would just be like, maybe we should just let this thing destroy us. Maybe that's God's will. Mm. Maybe the world, the universe is trying to tell us we don't belong. I tell you, def- I tell would, you what would definitely would be trust, missing. Tell me that wouldn't be the no, case. No, you're right. You're right. And I'll tell you what else would be missing. Um, the, the the passion that there is between Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler. Yeah. Like you see that scene where they're in in they're sat in the rocket thruster yeah. and they're clearly about to smash. <laughs> yeah, in um, the rocket thruster. But but they but they feel genuinely close and attracted to each other mm. and sex you f- no sex actually happens. You don't see any sex. No, but, but he does walk little feel, uh, cookie dinosaurs and that's later on. But oh, you feel like sex is dull. about to happen. That doesn't happen in modern films. As um, What's-His-Face said, um, oh, God, I can't remember his name, director of Robocop, Total Recall. Oh, Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. Um, Paul Verhoeven did an interview last year when he had a film come out and it went like straight to DVD. Yeah. Can you believe that's where Paul Verhoeven is now? I mean, it was it. It's not an American movie. A lot of Paul Verhoeven no, yeah, stuff but... in his own country is nothing like his American output. Yeah, all of his American uh, output was to mock American output of cinema. Right. Well, the point is, he um, he released a film. And in an interview said about how there's not enough sex in cinema anymore. Sure. And we've talked about this before, and I'll talk about it here. I agree with him. And when I say that, I don't mean sex scenes. I can take or leave sex scenes. I wish I, don't... I could quit you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good example. Brokeback mm. Mountain's a great example. Um, I'm not saying I need an actual sex scene, but there is not enough sexiness in film anymore. And by that, you also mean chemistry. I mean passion. Like, mm. real passion. Because they're so afraid now of triggering someone, of triggering someone, or or I, I don't know what they're afraid of, to be honest. But we even said this like let's not let's stick genre to genre, like let's not because it wouldn't be fair of me to compare, say, Titanic, no, because that's still a blockbuster, something more serious to like Iron Man, like yeah. that wouldn't be fair. Let's do superhero to superhero, you know. Batman Returns yep. from 1992. The chemistry and the heat between Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton oh, it's sets the screen on fire. Spider-Man 1, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. The upside-down kiss in the rain is an iconic moment because it feels passionate, it feels sexy. Yeah, There is none of that. in. I like the Marvel films. 
but none of the relationships are believable. Well, it's because I whenever don't... they get close to a romantic point where they could do something, crack a joke. it's yeah, they've got a right. Let's put in the awkward joke. Let's spoil it. Have the awkward yeah. moment. Now, here's the thing. Unfortunately, I'm as much as I like romance and I like to be romantic in certain ways. I find romance awkward. Mm. So I am the guy who breaks the <laughs> breaks the uh, romantic feel and vibe of something because I can't just sit in that moment. I find it awkward. Yeah. Because I don't know why. I've got to fucking figure that out for myself. There's something wrong with me when it comes to romance. But I... And, and so when there's films that do that, I can appreciate it. I go, oh, I can see myself with this scene. Yeah. But why is it every single movie yeah like even movies that should have packed like when people should be close or at the wrong time it's like i've just yeah. saved her or she's just saved me yeah. and like we're at this point and just like the passion's meant to all be there yeah. and it's just like man i nearly fell hard on my i don't know fell hard on my dick or something like they, they make some comment that yeah. sounds like an innuendo or, yeah. and then then the other person's like really Did is that have a, to say that, is that a gun i'm it? sorry you know yeah is that a gun in your pocket are you just happy to see me? oh how many times have we heard that poxy line yeah in a million films it's, now you know i i don't want to be that guy who's like an old man but like look at like dirty dancing i haven't seen or it. ghosts oh we're gonna do dirty dancing okay. man i've it's seen ghosts or ghosts basically ghosts patrick just swayze. made me laugh it's ridiculous let's be honest patrick swayze knew how to be sexy <laughs> uh ran over back to armageddon so it's a very rushed film in a way. Look, not rushed. I'm not going to say rushed. It's very quickly paced. Yeah. We are f- literally one minute we're on the oil rig. Next minute we're in NASA training. Yep. Next minute they're out being hooligans on their last night on Earth. Yep. Steve Buscemi goes and takes a $100,000 loan from a loan shark. <laughs> Who did you hear what the shark said? Yeah, 60%. 60% interest. Steve Buscemi is not planning on coming back from this mission. <laughs> no. No. Um, and then they're in space. Yeah, they're on. They get to the international space station. They're there for five minutes before uh, they, they dist- blow it up. They, they destroy the entire Russian space station. No, it's, uh, that's the international space station. Yeah, but it's only one Russian on it for some reason. Because uh, they there's two Russians, but one dies in the explosions. Right. But I I do believe the international space station they rotate crews, so it'll be Americans manning yeah, it for more than so two many. On there. I think there's only three, three or four in real life. I'm, yeah, three I, f- there's usually three or four, sometimes right. five. Um, yeah, um, it's not, there's not a big amount of crew on there, I'll be honest, yeah. but like, <laughs> the way it goes down, like the, the way it's, it doesn't, I can't imagine it, it's as messy and as blooming, it looks like the set from Alien more than it does the actual International Space Station, because it's messy, there's shit everywhere, and the, the fact that they have gravity... Yeah. There is no gravity. And they're like, oh, they've put their thrusters on. Like, they don't even try and really do it. They just go, right, the space station is going to put on its thrusters to simulate well, Earth gravity. It's like, that's yeah, bad. The, that the, work, the science <laughs> isn't the strong suit of this film. No, and the fact um, is, it, this is, this is the quintessential film that Americans did a lot in the 90s, where it'd be like, there's a disaster, there's some natural calamity, or there's some space calamity, or, you know, something scientific has gone wrong. Mm. And then when they bring in the sun, it's like, oh, what do you know, Mr. Scientist? Oh, that is it's... Michael Bay all over. Yeah, yeah. Michael it's... Bay films reek of that goddamn pencil necks Yeah, attitude. and it's all the way through this. They've got one guy who's like the expert. Jason Isaacs. Yeah, as astrophysics. And they're like, who the hell is this idiot? And he's, like, he's actually the most, like, the one of the best astrophysicists in the planet. So give him some respect. And then, but then they bring in Bruce Willis. And then 
for some reason, the dynamic changes. It's like, mm. shut up, Pencil Neck. Bruce yeah. Willis is talking. So, but Bruce... he doesn't know anything about astrophysics. Yes. One criticism <laughs> I do have of this film, was it just me or did Bruce Willis's accent keep dropping? He starts the film with like a southern accent. I mean, I just thought he was being Bruce Willis. So I'd never caught much of an accent either right. way. Um, I, and to be honest, I'm not brilliant with accents. No, so. he's good in this though, Bruce Willis, I yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, enough to make me cry. I cried, I'll admit. And this this is the beauty of Michael Bay when Michael Bay works. Yeah. When he's working, Michael Bay, Michael Bay doesn't make deep films or intelligent films, <laughs> but he knows how to play emotion. That's why the original name of this film was Shallow Impact. <laughs> <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah. Michael Bay does have a skill for playing crowd pleasers. Yeah. Um, it, he certainly is not an award winner. He's not going to go down in history as a really intelligent filmmaker. He's not a director where you really need to think but, hard about his... No, but we, we, <laughs> we pick on Michael Bay a lot. I, I know I do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I always am like... Michael Bay's like my go-to example of a terrible director. And that's I not... thought that was Paul W.S. Anderson. No, because I know people know Michael Bay. That's true. But the, but the truth is... The truth is it's not really fair to Michael Bay. Mm. Because... Although I don't necessarily like his style, to call him a bad filmmaker compared to some of the stuff we've seen over on VGMP. Oh God, Uwe Boll. Like, Uwe Boll is a bad filmmaker. Someone who doesn't understand how films work. Yes. Michael Bay knows how films work. He just has a very specific style that doesn't necessarily appeal to me. Yeah, and it's a pop style. Yeah, it's a very pop, very quick, very... uh, In fact, I I was reading some reviews for Armageddon, and a lot of critics compare it to machine gun fire. Yeah. That's how fast and speedy the films are. Mm. I'm not going to lie, that third act, I was losing track of who was still alive and who was dead. Because people just being blown up and flying everywhere. Yeah, and they're all in space suits. They're all in matching space suits. Yeah. Um, Some of the things that were odd about the visual design of this film as well... And I kept mentioning it because it, it made no sense. Like, they're on the launch pad ready to take off. Yeah. The rockets go and there's flashes from the thrusters as they're burning against the floor to try and shoot the rockets up. Mm. That makes sense. And then we get the inside view of the cockpit of them facing upwards towards space. Yeah. And for some reason, there's strobe lighting flashing in their yeah. face, really bright, outside the window. So I, they're facing space. What's flashing up there? Yeah. I like, think it... Makes no odds. And then it, that happened a lot. Like, when they're yeah. flying into the um, asteroid towards the end, like to get to the third act, yeah. as they're flying in, again, there's like all this weird strobe flickering in your face. And it's like, why Why is there strobe lights on the asteroid? I think that's... it's um, I think it's more of a stylistic choice yeah. to disorient the audience as opposed to, oh, there is an actual light source there. Yeah, um, it's, it, it, but it becomes very obvious when every now and then it tries to add some science and he goes, this is the real science of this. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. And now also, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, I did kind of think that aliens were going to turn up. Yeah, and to be fair, maybe it's maybe the idea of that was that when we got to the surface of the asteroid, we also had space dementia. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's got space dementia. <laughs> space epilepsy, more like, from the yeah. strobe lighting. <laughs> Jesus. It's, it was intense. It's f- To put this film in a wider context, not just of Michael Bay, but of the late 90s yeah. and the early 2000s, 
disaster films were big at this point. Mm. You know, in the 90s, you had Independence Day, you had Armageddon, you had Dante's Peak, you had Volcano. Um, have you ever seen Volcano? Yes, I have. It's nah. got uh, Pierce Brosnan, isn't it? No, that's Dante's Peak. Oh, okay. I've Volca- seen that one. Oh, right. That's the one I haven't seen. Right. And I've seen Volcano, which is Tommy Lee Jones. Right, okay. And you've not seen it. We're going to have to do a swapsie on those at some yeah, point sure. then. Uh, Volcano is hilarious. Is because- that the one where the, the lava slows down or speeds up depending on how fast they're going? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're trying to make lava scary, but it's lava. It just it's flows alive. very slowly. And like, there's a bit where a fat guy has got to jump from one subway car to another, but they are like eight meters apart, <laughs> like like an Olympic long jumper couldn't make that jump. And you're just looking at this fat guy, like, nah, mate, nah, it's not gonna happen. That ain't gonna happen. And <laughs> to be fair, to be fair to that film, it doesn't even try and convince you that it might happen. He literally runs, jumps, immediately plummets face first into the lava <laughs> and melts. Well, I said that while we were watching this film. Uh, of all the oil rig staff are either muscly or slim, except for one guy who I can't remember the name of the character. I just called him The Paul fat Kins. guy, Max, yes, his name Max. was. I just called him He Paul- was the only actor I didn't recognise. Yeah, out of I'm, the main group. Yeah, I'm going to look him up real quick. I called him Porkins because I was just like, this is going to be a George Lucas thing, isn't it? Where, like, like, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, he's not making it. And uh, To be fair, he survived longer than I expected. But at the same time, it was like... Did he, didn't he make it all the way to the end? He got towards... Oh, no, 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 yeah, the buggy in, blows into yeah, space. Yeah, he was in the first buggy. Um, but... <laughs> It was just as soon as I saw him, it was like everyone else is slim or ripped and then fat man. I was like, well, that's Porkins from the first Star Wars movie <laughs> all over. So, like, you've got everyone else coming in. And this is where Gentilly is coming in. Porkins coming. It's like, mate, George, what are you doing, man? Like the fat yeah. guy you call Porkins. And yeah, he's dead. So <laughs> that actor is Kenneth Campbell or Ken Campbell. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to read a few things he's been in. Because yep. uh, he he's been in a few things we've seen. Okay. Um... It looks like he's more popular as a voice actor okay, or a TV actor than a film, a film actor. actor. But it turns a film, he played Santa Claus in Home Alone. Right. He had a brief appearance in Groundhog Day. Right. Armageddon was only his fourth film, and it looks like it might be his biggest role. Um, he's in Coyote Ugly right. as a biker. Have you ever seen Coyote Ugly? I don't think so. It's a good film. You can try to resist, try to hide from my kiss. That's just a song. That's the song that's associated. Right. Yeah, nothing else he's been in is anything that we've really seen. He's in a film called Live Nude Girls, speaking of... Uh, Sounds like sexist, high art to me. Where he plays Cannonball Calhoun, which is the <laughs> best is name, name any character has <laughs> that ever That is an amazing had. name. I'm going to change mine. I'm going to make my stage name Cannonball Calhoun. That's great. Now, starring Cannonball Calhoun, it's Schindler's List 2. Specificity. <laughs> <laughs> The fissening? Yeah. What's a fissening? Oh, I was thinking of shit. Uh, <laughs> you were thinking of the wrong film. <laughs> Fiddler's Fist. Fiddler's <laughs> Fist. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I don't know. What? You know, we've got another one of these to do, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're already high as a kite. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all right. Okay. 
So before we get on to how our impressions of the film have changed, or maybe have changed, or maybe haven't, mm. um, is there anything else, particularly in the film, in its writing, directing, camera style, that we want to call out? Obviously, let's just firstly say that the the Aerosmith song associated with this film is amazing. Yes, yeah, it's a great I mean, song. Nineties Aerosmith is probably the best Aerosmith. I know there's people that prefer their seventies and eighties output, but actually their nineties output, are like there's. Um, Oh, they had a song in Ace Ventura, which I loved, um, Line Up, which is brilliant. Right. Um, do you remember that part? I of don't know. I don't remember any of Ace Ventura. Oh, I thing. actually don't Off remember. <laughs> I actually don't know that much Aerosmith. As, as big a classic rock fan as I am, yeah. the only Aerosmith I know is, I know, Dream On, which Dream I think is from right. the 70s. Yeah, that's I, the, one of their best ones from the yeah. 70s. I know Walk This Way, which is from the 80s. Except for I prefer the Run DMC and Aerosmith version from the 90s. Oh, no, that's the version I mean. Is there a version that's just Aerosmith? Yeah, yeah, they did. It was their song first. Uh, Run DMC, what happened with that was Run DMC wanted to do their own mix version. Mm. um, And to get the rights to do so, they had to contact the Aerosmith lot. Mm. And they realised, well, actually, the problem is, is there's no rap way to get around the awesome guitar. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, well, we don't want to rap or remix the guitar part. But we kind of need to change the song a little bit to match the rapping part. So they contacted Aerosmith and were like, is there a chance of maybe a duet? Mm. Aerosmith went, that's a fucking stupid idea. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) And so they they decided to collaborate on remaking that song with as a duet piece of, you know, Aerosmith and Run DMC. And the music video was the fact that there wasn't much blend between white and black music. Mm. So in the music video, it's Aerosmith are doing the song in one side, <laughs> and then and the then... other side of the wall is Air- is Run DMC, and then they they break down the wall yeah. and start to blend and work together. Yeah, um, I know, is... I know the very bad. Re- I'll say very bad. I like, it. Okay. <laughs> but I know the very bad, much much later version that they did for Red Nose Day, right. which is Sugar Babes and Girls Allowed. Oh God, no! It's not the same point when you no, when you're I not crossing two point... different genres you're just doing two female pop bands no and also it's not got the cultural blend that yeah. i'm talking about but i love girls it's... aloud so okay fair enough um, um, but they they also had um what was it they had walked this way uh loving uh, an elevator loving an elevator i think those two were 70s there was Crank, um, no loving an elevator is i tell you what the best song the best aerosmith song well, they had dude looks like a lady that dude was looks like mrs. a lady yeah that was mrs dude doubtfire looks like a lady bow bow dude looks like a lady but does he identify as a lady well that's that we didn't ask those questions in 95 uh, uh, that, that, that that and don't want to miss a thing are my two favorite aerosmith yeah, songs yeah um but yeah lineups a really good one that's one that i want to learn mm. there's Crazy, crazy's all right. It's not my jam. It's, yeah. a bit, it's it's kind of it's in between being kind of a, a cool rock anthem and, and a being ballad. a slow song. Yeah, and it doesn't quite hit either metric. Yeah, sometimes when rockers do ballads, they're great, and sometimes they're not. Yeah, like don't want to miss thing. Great. Yeah, always by Bon Jovi. Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this some I suddenly can't think of a shit one, but there are ones. There yeah, are yeah. shit ones. Oh, there's loads. But yeah, so Aerosmith, great choice. Uh, the other thing, only other thing, I think really we should call out is the cgi um the cgi it's is 1998 to be fair it is, but then don't employ so much of it yeah or employ I mean, it more strategically fair, let, let's be clear <laughs> we watched this in glorious 320p and i so could I still could tell, tell what it, was CGI. Were, towards the end you could tell the last third is very obvious CGI. well as we just learned from a little quote by michael yeah. bay um the the visual effects guy had a breakdown yeah 
and they had to kind of finish it with an inexperienced team. I do find it funny they spent 114 million. 140. 140 million on this, and when the VFX guy broke down, they went, "No, do it yourself, mate. We won't hire another." It's like, dude, just pay another 20k. It's okay, fucking visual effects yeah. guy to do the final third. It's it so pro- stupid. It, it ju- I think it proves that Marvel's disrespect of visual effects artists is nothing new. Yeah. Poor visual effects artists have never been treated that. with the respect they deserve. No, and but it's also why, like, to be honest, the CGI in this isn't much worse than what's in new Marvel movies because they, and it's not because they don't pay enough. Or anything like that. It's because they don't give visual effects artists enough time. Yeah. Uh, I've been watching a lot of videos about visual effects artists to try and figure out why CGI looks more ropey nowadays than it's ever oh, it's done. it's the time crunch. Yeah, yeah. and it's The, the demand t- for it's insane. Yeah, but they want it in 4K. Because so, remember and as it's, well. The thing is as well, whenever you do a scene, I think it's like for like a five minute scene or something like that, to render that out in 4K, just to rent, like that's basically just saving it as a video file. Yeah. That's not doing any of the actual work. You've already done the work. You just to save it is like 24 hours. Yeah. So when they go, yeah, we need to have uh, 40 minutes of this part of the film to be like a whole 40 minutes, all CGI, loads of different effects, and we need it in about two weeks. Thanks very much. Yeah. It's like, well, at least a week of that is just saving the file. Thing is, it's not even just films now. Like, once upon a time, you only got CG in big budget blockbusters. Yeah. Now fucking weekly TV shows have got it. Yeah. Because there's all these superhero TV shows now, like The Flash and Green Arrow and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. With and huge CGI demands. It's also the fact that I think there's a lot of times that people aren't thinking about how they could do certain special effects in camera. Um, oh no, people are so lazy with it now. Yeah, it's like we can fix this all in post, let's just green screen to it, the point let's where, just do this. To the point where a lot of practical effects houses... Yeah. Are out of business now. Yeah. Fucking Stan Winston retired, didn't he? Well, I mean, I think he... Isn't Stan Winston dead? Now, I don't know actually. Stan Winston that well. But, well, so he was like... I know I know yeah. who he was, sorry. I mean, I, just, I yeah. don't know much about um, his life personally. I'm sure it was Stan Winston. It might have been Rick Baker, actually. But one of them, who was a very legendary special mm. effects person, who did literally almost any film you saw as a childhood, from like E.T. to Star Wars, yeah. these guys worked on it. Um, retired a few years ago, not because they wanted to, but because it just wasn't the work. Yeah. And he did like an open letter, you know, like people do sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it was so sad to read because wow. it was just mourning the, the loss basically the of loss of a whole discipline yeah. of filmmaking. Yeah. It's um, gone by the wayside for CGI. And the thing is, again, but it doesn't, but CGI very, very, very rarely, very rarely mm. does CGI do what practical can do. Here's the thing. It doesn't look as good. Yeah. half the. T- here's the thing, though. Most of the time, that's because they don't have the time to process it properly. Oh, yeah. But it also, it dates. Yep. And personally, although, it, don't wrong, it is amazing what they can do. We are not at a stage yet where you can actually trick the human brain. No. Part of you will... One day, I'm going to show you the original Evil Dead. Right? Yep. Now, the original Evil Dead, the ending, when all the deadites melt, is claymation. Yeah, yeah. That still looks better than CGI, CGI because your brain knows that there is something physical there. If, fair enough, it's not human, yeah. but it is something physical that actually melted. Yeah, and there's something not to react pixel- to and with. Yeah, it's not pixels on a screen. I will say this as well. I think this is where Terminator 2 used CGI really, really well because the only thing it used it on was a character that was meant to be un unworldly yeah and unreal and that was the t-1000 
But all the effects they needed to do with the T-800, Arnie's Terminator, mm. removing the piece of his head and doing the surgery on the brain all and practical. all this stuff, was all done practical with Linda Hamilton's twin, you know, mm. in the mirror, finding ways to do it practically. Um, James Cameron was actually really good at that. Mm. And it's kind of a sad thing that he's now just descended into Avatar CGI Fest. Um, because the thing is, the guy figured out mm. things practically. At the moment, and I, I don't want to bang on about myself too much because we're reviewing Armageddon, but I'm trying to figure out how to do visual effects for my first feature. Boo, boo, self-promotion, boo. It's I'm not kidding. that. I'm, I'm kidding, not going to name kidding, it. I'm kidding. But the thing no, is... No, go on, name it. Purple Haze. Purple Haze. Purple Haze. Uh, but the thing is, is I know that there's like there's certain effects transitions that I want. Like someone going to slip, lying down in their bed, and then the bed falls away, and they fall onto concrete. Like the bed just disappears around from them, and they fall out of the sky onto a concrete floor. Oh right? my god, I want to do that so bad. Yep, and I've, I've been figuring out how to do that. Oh, I know how to do it. Without green screen. Yeah, yeah. Good. How do you want to do it? So the way I was thinking of it was, well, I've got three different options. We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. But the idea is to basically do a similar transition shot to what I did in my human cargo short, mm. but then alter what happens post transition. So have a piece of bed that you hold up behind the actor um, and like just have you keep the camera in place. And hold it there for 10 seconds, the act of freeze frames. You remove the bed frame, and behind them on the wall is, like, the wall is actually a um, printout of a of basically the pavement. And then you have that on caster wheels, and you slam that against the actor. The actor would have, like, a piece of board or something, and they just seem like going, on the floor. And then you just cut away the middle piece, so it blends in post. Yeah. And then that way, the bed fades away from them you then have the effect of them dropping and you can either do that by dropping the actor on a platform uh, and having the camera f above them so gravity does the work for you or you can have the, the actual um, pavement on caster wheels and slam that against a block so it doesn't actually hit the actor themselves and they simulate hitting the ground but either way like I, I've only just started concepting how to do that yeah. effect male or female character male that's easier yeah. Long hair makes effects a bitch. Oh, yeah. So this will just um, be short I'd hair. reverse it. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is just me coming off the top of my head here. Yeah. I would um, have the camera above it. So, mm, actually, no, doing it my way is too complicated because you need a whole harness built. Yeah. So um, that's, th this is part of the thing that I'm thinking of is yeah. like how you can use gravity to drop the actor um, so long as there's enough padding. Yeah. So that they don't do themselves actual harm. Because I, what I would do is have your concrete first. Right. I, do you want their whole body in the shot? No. Just, or just sort of this Yeah, bit? yeah, just sort of like mid-shot. Yeah, so I'd, I would build a harness. Yep. Have them strapped in the harness from down here. Right, yeah. So you can't see it in the shot. Camera fixed in position a certain distance above them. Yep. Them on the concrete... Pull them up, and as they come up, you build a special bed frame that's on stilts, basically. Right. And you have technicians slide the bed under them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then play the shot in reverse. That's cool. And you'll get a really ethereal... I'm a big fan of reverse shots in scenes that are meant to look surreal. I hadn't thought of reversing a shot, it so makes, that's interesting. It makes everything look weird. Yeah. You can kind of tell it's reversed. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, that's something to discuss when we get to that yeah. point. But, like, the idea is anyway... That would be something that generally in most film productions, you just go, right, film them on a green screen, have them do the effect and oh, boom, yeah. on a green screen. And then we'll just 
cut out the green and put whatever background we want at whatever time. Yeah. But then you've got to remove green from your color palette. Mm. You've got to... So I'm actually going to have green stuff in it, green and blue, so that people be no, able to go... You haven't. Yeah, it's like, because when I did that shot in Human Cargo, and I basically disintegrated a, ho- uh, a hospital room you'd into a cafe, yeah, they're like, you green screened it. It's like, I didn't. It was so much easier than that. I just held up a piece of wood. as the like, I just held up a piece of wall, removed the wall, and then blended it in post. Yeah. But... The, and it got the same effect. In fact, better. Because I didn't have to post-process it, I didn't have to green screen it, at 4K, it's pixel perfect. There's no blurriness. There's no pixelation around their hairline. It's a woman as well, so it would have shown a lot more if, uh, you know, with the frizzy hair or anything yeah. like that. It was spot on 100% perfect. And it's like, that's... Uh, by me by, like, basically building a very small piece of wall... If I was doing this as a professional production, that piece of wall would have cost me, what, 20 quid? Yeah. Versus doing that green screen as an, with an effects house would have been at least about two to 300 quid. Yeah. So I've saved budget straight away doing that. And it also, rendering time. And it's just fun, man. Yeah. Like, bear in mind the film... Why don't people like working out how to do shots I know we're anymore? I know we're a little bit off topic here, so yeah, this sorry. will be the last thing I say on it, but... <clears throat> It's well known that the whole film that attracted me into filmmaking was Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. That was be- that was because one the the whole idea of uh, I find it fascinating the whole dreams versus reality concept. Sure. But also it was all the effects. Yep. It was holy shit. How is that girl crawling up the ceiling? Yeah. How are Freddy's? How you've done it? Yeah. How are Freddy's arms stretching really long? And mm. when the quicksand stairs happen and stuff. Yeah. And I'm not gonna lie. I feel like filmmaking has lost something because everything's CGI. That I mean, the idea was CGI was to help cinema magic. Mm. Now they use it as the only trick. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah, it's why it's why making of documentaries aren't as good anymore. That's either. why they don't make them anymore. Most yeah. DVDs and Blu-rays don't come with extras about making yeah, of. The best just, you get is a few bits where actors go, "Yeah, I really like the script." Yeah, it was alright. Yeah, because yeah. it's just we CGI'd it. Yeah, it's you know it's really weird talking to a tennis ball. Mm. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, build a fucking model. <laughs> like, do do you know how they did the you know the Deadite point of view cam in Army of Darkness and Evil Dead Two? Right. Uh, where it's just the point of view camera going over the forest floor. Yeah, it's going like. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is Sam Raimi on a bicycle, built a literally just built himself, improvised it like a two by four frame, and stuck his camera on it and rode through the forest. <laughs> And then at some points, it's literally just him and Bruce Campbell holding it and running through the forest. Wow. Uh, like, it's so simple. Are they actually, simple. while they're running it, still making going the... I think the, the RR sound is Sam Raimi. Yeah, but, uh, not, but not during no, the actual post. filming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. They're just right... Leaning next to the microphone. <laughs> anyway, back to Armageddon. Yes. Um, have your... So... Have your thoughts on Armageddon changed, or how did you enjoy the movie? I did enjoy the movie. I enjoyed it a lot, actually. I didn't expect to. I thought it'd just be meh. Um, do I have a greater appreciation for it? Probably not. Uh, it is dumb. I thought it was dumb. I still think it's dumb. Um, but I have an appreciation for its positivity now. It is a little bit vomitingly American, but the <laughs> but that feels almost retro now, doesn't oh, it? Yeah, with with how that means we're getting old, Rory. I know it is. Yeah, what happened to the good old days? Uh, but... <laughs> this film is like twenty five years old at this. Oh point. yeah, yeah, it's older than most of our audience will probably be. <laughs> um, 
yeah, it's scary how old this film is because it still feels relatively new to me. Yeah. But yeah, it anyway, that it feels as dumb and as fun as I thought it was. I just have a great appreciation for its positivity that I probably didn't have during the late nineties. Mm. Um and I'm I actually had a really good time. I couldn't slag it off. Uh you know, if anyone's after something scientifically accurate and intelligent, look elsewhere. Yeah. But other than that, that's the thing. You have to grade films on a curve. Yes, don't you? You do, you don't hold up. We actually said this on VGMP when we talked about The Last of Us. Yes, The Last of Us. The the writers and directors keep sitting there and saying, um, "We want it to be taken more seriously than a video." Yeah. Actor. All right, fine. It's We're not gonna a zombie hold... series. It's not a video yeah. game. We're series. going to hold you to a higher standard. Then, yeah, this is a disaster film. Yep. disaster films are not smart it's a pretty good one actually yeah and michael bay disaster- doesn't sit there and tell you that it's high art no and certain disaster films are awful mm. there's another one we're going to cover at some point on this show i think it got drew out way later in the running order though called geostorm oh, which God, is a yeah. billion times worse than this I film i have not seen geostorm um it's awful but the name is terrible well this film <laughs> honestly so i liked this film i yep. enjoyed it it it, yeah, it's not smart. It's not particularly artistic. It hit all the right emotional beats. Yep. I, I, I was laughing at the film at some points. To be fair, yeah, like yeah. when he was like, "He's got space dementia." Yeah, you can't laugh at that and not be laughing at the film. But there were some legitimately good moments. The best moment in this film is at the start of the third act. I think it is. You know when all help. You know when they all start falling out. And mm. William Fitchner's like, right, no, we're overriding this. And the president back on Earth is like, just detonate the nuke, kill with all yeah. the astros. That scene where you've got Will Patton, Bruce Willis, and William Fitchner confronting each other over the bomb. Yeah. And William Fitchner draws his gun. Yeah. That was a legitimately tense scene. Yeah. With all the running back and forth and stuff. Like, I felt like, oh, we're getting into something here. And I, I'll admit, I teared up. I cried when Bruce Willis makes the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, and I- Bruce Willis is really good at playing that because, mm. and I don't give Bruce Willis enough credit. I'll give, I'll admit this now. I've always been someone who's a little bit cool on Bruce Willis. Mm. I don't, I don't dislike him, but he's definitely not a top-notch actor for me. But he was really good in this film at doing that stoic, manly hero thing without going too far into. He's not cartoonish. It's like not Arnold or Stallone. Yeah. We'd be like, look at my muscles and look how big a hero I am. Yeah. But also... He's like a more realistic yeah. version of those. To be honest, it's a bit of a martyr, but not in a, oh, look at me. It's just, oh, to be honest... I'll I'm give, the best man for the job. This is what Michael Bay's done right, dear God. <laughs> He's exactly what he is. He's a blue-collar worker who just knows that the job has to be done. Yeah. And it sucks that he's got to die to do it. Yep. But the job has to be done. Yeah. Um, he's got a good dry sense of humour in it. I really like the bit once he's made the sacrifice, he turns around and goes, Well, this was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that like he do- when he gives his message of goodbye to his daughter, he doesn't burst into tears. No. He's got the one tear yep. that runs still stoic while crying. Yeah, and it works. The one tear works. Yeah. Um I do wonder if he actually cried. Or if they used... If they CGI'd it or something. Or they may Um, have... There's a certain... um, uh, Menthol thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Duncan has one at the studio that you blow into their eyes and it makes them cry. Right. That'd Uh, probably make me more than cry if it's got mint in it. Oh, yeah, it'd kill you. (laughs) I'd fucking be blind for three years. I finally met someone else with a mint allergy, by the way. Really? Yeah. 
Well, I don't know if theirs is a mint allergy. They specifically said gum allergy. Right. Like chewing gum. Right. But it's got to be the mint, right? It could be an E number. Oh, fair enough. But, yeah, it possibly is the mint. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so we've given Armageddon a second chance. Yep. And I'd, I'd, to be honest, I'd watch it again. Yeah, it's not something I'd want to watch, like, tomorrow. No. But it's easy. It's <laughs> another easy ten enough. years from now. Yeah, it's easy to see myself picking it up and watching it again at some point. If there's, I've got, I've got nothing else to watch, and I just feel like something a bit cheesy. Yeah, Armageddon's on. Yeah. Where, where does this Why rank? Not? Where does this rank for you in Michael Bay's pantheon? <laughs> in my what? In Michael Bay's catalogue of work. Ah, oh, I haven't seen a lot of Michael Bay's catalogue of work. Okay, how about Bruce Willis's catalogue? I haven't seen everything in his catalogue work either, but um, this is... It's pretty good, Bruce Willis. Yeah, it, I mean, it's good Willising. Uh, there's good Willis hunting. Uh, oh, was... God. <laughs> there's... You're fired. You're fired. Um, so, I, out of Bruce Willis's pantheon of work, there's a few films that I prefer to this, because um, they're normally a bit smarter or a, a little bit more heartfelt. Um, 16 Blocks. I really love 16 Blocks. That's uh, the one we watched yeah, the other day. Yeah, where, where he's an alcoholic. Yeah. I love that film. Final film by director of Richard Superman. Donner. Yeah. Um, I preferred this, actually. Interesting. It just had that Hollywood bombast. Yeah, so, I mean, 16 Blocks doesn't have the Hollywood bombast, but what I like, I, I quite like crime thrillers mm. and uh, people, you know, the underdogs having to do, you know, and he's fighting the police, his own colleagues in that. Yeah. I, I love that fight and that struggle for survival. Um, but yeah, so 16 Blocks I prefer to this. Unbreakable is much better than this. I never finished Unbreakable. Oh, I loved it. Unbreakable. Um, I don't know about Sixth Sense because its main thing is a twist. So I don't know if that would now work now that I know the twist. Having yeah, watched it before. I've never watched it a second time. No, that's the thing. I don't know if it holds up a second time. Um, but certainly I, it, it impressed me more on a first viewing. Sixth Sense. I just don't know if it would impress me as much on repeats. Whereas I've seen Sixteen Blocks and Unbreakable multiple times, and I still love them. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I put it as a good middle. Die Hard generally does better, but Die Hard One and Two don't like Die Hard Three really. Yeah. And Die Hard Four was air. I'd put that about this level, if not actually a bit worse, because it was the start of the end of decent action movies. I didn't like Die Hard One. (laughs) Yeah. No, you don't like action films though. Um. And then Die Hard 5, I watched in the cinema because my ex-girlfriend wanted me to watch it, and it was awful. That's a good day to Die Hard, isn't uh, it? I'll tell you what, it's a good day to kill yourself. It's <laughs> the worst film I've seen at the cinema, apart from maybe... Well, no, there's two other ones that might hold that record as well, which was uh, Epic Movie. Oh, you saw that at the cinema? So he, I got tricked into watching Epic Movie. I swear. They, to be fair, they kind of tricked me by my own ignorance, I had these friends, one of which is the one that worked on the Large Hadron Collider, right? Mm. An intelligent guy, right? He called me up. We were sort of 18, 19. He's like, oh, Rory, we're going to the cinema. And I was like, oh, okay, what are we going to watch? Oh, an epic movie? I was mm. like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. I'm up for that. So I go to the cinema, and I'm like, okay, what epic movie are we watching? Epic movie. You, no, thought, you thought, I thought they it, just meant an epic yeah, movie. Yeah, I was like, well, that's a, your own dumbass fault. Yeah, well, I didn't know epic movie was that, the name no, of a film. That is your own dumbass fault. And I was like, so what we want is, like, there was big blockbusters in the cinema at the time. It's like, no, no, it's there. Points to this horrible artwork. I fucking hate this type well, of artwork. Welcome you to know s- the white background where it's just got an ensemble of the cast and the, and the people. Title. Yeah. It was awful. And I just looked at it and I went, oh, 
fucking not spending 12 quid on that Sy- shit. Sympathy Town Population Zero, Oh, bro. man, come on. I wasted money and had to watch it in the cinema and nothing was good what in was it. What was the second one? What was the ne- other worst one? The other worst one uh, was... Uh, what was it? Uh, the Titan one that was 3D but wasn't really 3D. Crash of the, Clash Clash of the, of the Titans, Titans or Wrath of the Titans? Uh, the first one or the sequel? I think... The first one is Clash of the Titans. I think it might have been Wrath. Wrath of I the Titans. I think it was the sequel. It was the one with the most boring actor in the world. He's in, in both. It. Oh, yeah. So, it's, it, I don't know. Did I think they, it might be Clash. Did they, Cla- w- did I think they release the Kraken? It might have been Clash. Right. Uh, because release I, the Kraken. But the thing is, when I went to watch it, the person I went to go and watch it with, they were like, I really want to watch that one. Yeah. Uh, they only had it in 3D. Yeah. So, we had to sit there. It was just after Avatar. I watched it with the 3D glasses on. Mm. There was three pieces of 3D in it, and one of them was a bit of wood. You know what? I'd like to see the original <laughs> Clash of the Titans. What the the Ray Harry? Original? Yeah, the Ray Harryhausen claymation it, stop motion. I one. mean, it's probably more 3D than the one I watched, which was the 3D Clash of the Titans. Mm. It was awful, man. It was literally a wooden beam. Was one of the three bits of 3D. I literally took the glasses off, and when it looks the same, yeah, like it literally looked no different with the glasses on. The worst film I think I've ever seen at the cinema. And this is a controversial choice. I think the worst one I've ever seen is Silence, the Martin Scorsese movie. Ooh. And I know, I know that's a bold thing to say, a Martin Scorsese <laughs> movie is the worst. But honestly, Silence is awful. It's, mm. It is one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my life. And I have seen some bad movies. I mean, I saw, I I mean you've a, watched Juve Bowl films on VGMP. Well, me? not at the cinema, luckily. No. I, mean, I don't... If, 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 if... If ever Uwe Boll makes another video game movie and puts it in the cinema, we are not going to the cinema to review that shit. I kind of feel like we have to. No, I can't. I I can't justify £15 each. I feel like we need to ring Uwe. If that ever happens, we need to get in touch with him. Ring Uwe's neck. And say, since you've managed the impossible feat of getting one of your awful films in cinemas again, you have to come and be on our show. And then it can be Jamie and Rory versus Raging Bull. We could. He's older now. We could probably take him. Yeah, but he still shoots things. Oh, no guns. Boxing match. Anyway, we're getting silly. My point is silence. Yes. And you know what? I'm going to give it a second chance. We're going to do silence on this show. Okay. I am dreading it. Yeah. It is the most boring movie I have ever seen in my life. Okay. And I feel really bad saying that because Scorsese is a master filmmaker. Um, I like pretty much everything else I've ever seen him do. And Silence was a passion project of his. Yeah. I do not know why. <laughs> it's so dull. Isn't it a religious movie? It's a re- yeah, why. it's a religious film, which I already have very little tolerance for. Yeah. Um, anyway, we've finished talking about Armageddon. We have now wrapped up the inaugural episode of Second Take... Second take cinema. All this, all the weeks we've prepped this, I've been thinking second chance cinema, and now I've got to try not to say that because it turns out it's already taken. Second take cinema. So you can't take a chance. Is it se- take a chance, take a chance, take a chance, take a chance on me? <laughs> if you change your mind, I'm the first in line. What about second change we cinema? We should, we should do Mamma Mia. No. Mamma Mia is brilliant. Oh, it's not, again. it's a bad film. Yes, the sequel. The sequel is called Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Oh no, there's a sequel. Why is there a sequel? i tell you why I might do the sequel. I hated the sequel. I watched it and was like, this is trash. 
went on to find that the sequel is much, much, much higher reviewed than the original. Like, critics much prefer the sequel. So I might actually need to go watch that sequel again. Maybe it's because all of the critics that hated the first one didn't go and watch the second one. And the ones that loved the first one watched the second one and were the only ones to review the second you know one. What? Maybe. So I, by percentage, it has a better record. I reckon a bunch of Cher fans watched the second one because Cher's in the second one. Oh, God, I don't mean to Cher. No, but it's in a film like that. Do you believe in life after love? The best version of that song is in South Park. Go on. Where they auto-tune it up even more. <laughs> so it ends up going... Oh, God. <laughs> that is the best version of that song. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed listening to Second Take Cinema. Uh, we've got many, 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 many more episodes planned. This is going to be a long journey. We've certainly enjoyed talking about Armageddon from the grand old year of 1998. Not to be confused with Armageddon. Armagregan. If you're interested in hearing any other shows that are produced by Impala or have Impala's involvement, you could check out Rory and myself over on VGMP, the video game movie podcast, where we review video game movies, and 99% of them are awful. Uh, that is a more comedy-focused podcast, so yes. there's a lot more jokes, a lot more mic-taking. And to be fair, that's because the movies are usually a lot more terrible. Yeah. Also, if you are interested in listening to our hit audio drama, uh, Haunted, the audio drama, which is currently in its second season, uh, created uh, by myself, starring myself as well, and co-produced with my uh, business partner, Benton, also featuring Rory in a recurring guest role, as well as guest writing in season two uh in fact by the time this airs i think your episode might have aired Mm. um you can find us on all good podcasting apps by searching haunted the audio drama uh and with that i think it's time to call a wrap on episode one yeah that's a wrap